one of the backdrops that is um, easily overlooked is the power behind the throne, if you will. The power behind that which raised Jesus from the dead. And the power, as we heard in the book of Acts this morning, which is post-Easter story and an after-Pentecost story of the power then residing on the apostles that made them effective and convicted in their teaching, the power that released them from the fear, the story we heard this morning, that they were behind locked doors for fear of their lives, for fear of the Jews, and uh, the power that released them into a whole new pattern of living and expectancy about living to preach the gospel. This is the second Sunday of Easter, and this was a, uh, if you were at a different service a week ago, you would have heard a portion or the introductory part of this sermon. For a week ago, while Tyler was preaching in here, I was over there, and I celebrated with the congregation there um, the second best Easter word that I know. I expect the best Easter word there is, is the word joy, joy. Easter joy. But the second best Easter word I know is the word, if you want to hear it in the Greek, dunamis. Dunamis. Power. Easter power. We, simply, we just finished a song that was a song of prayer which, whose refrain went like this. More love, more power, more of you in my life, Lord. This discovery and embracing of resurrection power amazingly is available to you. Paul speaks of it with such energy and excitement in his letters. He will say things like this, writing to the church in Corinth, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, in other words, Paul is saying, I'm not a great upfront speaker. But he said, instead, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, he says, to that congregation in Corinth, no doubt we can receive that for a word for us. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom either, but on God's power. Or Paul will write later to that same church, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And so Paul, writing in yet another letter, will say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's his heart's yearning, see, for more love, more power, more of you in my life, Lord. And Paul takes it even one step further as he prays for the church in Ephesus, prays for the church in Somerville, prays for us and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what? That you may know his incomparably great, you got it, dunamis, his incomparably great power for us who believe. It is for us, the ones who believe. Now let's be clear, we are not talking about worldly power nor is it power for worldly success. This is not a means of become materially and financially independent and secure in one's millions. This is a greater power, we might call it, 
as Paul calls it in another letter yet. This is divine power to be applied to our lives, not for worldly success, for godly success and for godly living, the best kind of success for our lives and the best kind of living for our lives. It is not power that we control. Worldly power is power granted to us to control events and things, to control a company, to control a car as we steer. Worldly power gives us control. Godly power is giving in to God's power to let Him have control of our lives. What can this power do for you as a disciple, as a believer, Well, this is only a short list. It is not a complete list. But just to let the imagination, the creative juices begin to flow, to uh, begin to discover the extent and the breadth of this divine power. First, this is power to defeat the undefeatable. To defeat what appears to be the undefeatable in our lives. It is power to defeat a family whose name is the self family. The self family lives in your heart. And the members of the self family are selfishness, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-consciousness, worrying about what other people think all the time. There's a terrible member of the self family that lives within us. To defeat the undefeatable is to defeat the self-family. That is what Paul is talking about when he said there is something within us that must go to the cross to be crucified, that we want to have nailed to the cross. We want the self-family nailed to the cross in order that we too can have a resurrection to new life without the self-family dominating. It's also defeating the undefeatable when we speak of our bad habits or our addictions. It is the power to own it, which is to name it. It is very hard to admit our flawed lives are flawed. It is very hard to say, I am an addict to, or I have this very bad habit of, and simply to name it and to own it. To say it aloud or to say it to another person, even to say it to ourselves. And this divine power enables us, empowers us to own it in order that we can offer it to the Lord. And in that offering it, we're asking for His Spirit of power to come on us to defeat that which is within us. This is power to defeat the undefeatable. It is also power, divine power, to love the unlovable. Some people are harder to love than others. Some people we live with are hard to love. Some people we know well are hard to love. Some people we work with are hard to love. And this divine power enables us to love the unlovable, which does not mean necessarily to like them, but it is to love them with Christ's love, which is an act of the will to meet their needs without regard to our own needs. It is an intentional decision to desire the best for another and be willing to help them get it. It's how Jesus can say, love your enemy. 
You can desire the best for your enemy and be willing to help them get it. You can pray for your enemy and pray for blessing for their lives. See, loving the unlovable comes out of, through divine power. And power to forgive the unforgivable. Not that it is truly unforgivable, but it happened to us and we are thinking, I will never forgive that person because they have committed the unforgivable sin. They have offended me. Forgiving the unforgivable. Of course, it's not the unforgivable sin. That's another topic for another time. But this is power to forgive that which has done unto us by another. It doesn't mean condoning what happened. It is not okay what they did to you. And it's not necessarily reconciliation. It takes two to be reconciled. And Jesus does not command us to be reconciled to everybody. He says you can seek that, but it takes two. But Jesus does say right there in the Lord's Prayer embedded in the center, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have offended us. So forgiveness is simply letting go of the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the resentment we have towards another person for our own hearts and soul's health. And God's divine power enables us to forgive that which was done to us. It's also power to lay down your life for another in imitation of Jesus who laid down his life for us. Spouses are doing it right now. Often spouses who have been married, a husband or a wife, for 30 or 40 or 50 years, we have them in our own church family, and they are laying down their life for the other. The wife for the husband, the husband for the wife. They are living out their marriage promise for better or for worse, for richer for poor, or poorer, in sickness and in health. I will be faithful to him. The power to lay down one's life for another, to tend by the bedside for weeks or months or years requires divine power to do that with perfect charity and kindness. To lay down our life for another, there are adult children who are doing it for their aged parents right now in this church family who give significant amount of their weekly time or their daily time to an elderly, aging, frail mother or father, laying down their own needs for their mother or their father. And there are certainly parents right now who are doing it for their precious children. Perhaps it's the easiest kind of all of life laying down, but that self-giving up and that full attention to the well-being of a child or children giving up our own needs and wishes and wants, our time, our financial flexibility as we provide for our children. It's also this divine power is the power to speak of God to the unconverted. That can be a very awkward moment for us when we want to say something to someone who does not believe. We have something to say to someone who does not believe And we don't step into that to tell them the difference God has made in their lives. This divine power frees the voice, frees the mind and heart 
And so as Peter writes, he will say to the disciples, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Power as well to pray for healing. James writes, the prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman is powerful and effective. The power to pray in belief, to lay hands on an individual, to reach out to an individual, to pray that God will say yes to your prayer over and over again. Knowing in faith that sometimes he will say no, my child, or he will say not yet, my child, but believing that God wants and yearns the best for our children, our brothers and sisters, our friends, and we pray and cry out to the Lord in power for him to heal. Well, that's a list of six of this, what is available and released. We could go on and on. We don't have time. The power over death itself is the story of the resurrection, isn't it? Not only Jesus' resurrection, your resurrection and mine. The power of life eternal given to us. The power over Satan. The one who appears to be all powerful at times. And the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Because it is a name of power. So. I say to you on this second Sunday of Easter celebration. As we have heard the witness from the gathering of the disciples, transitioning from their paralysis, their paralysis of fear and their paralysis of powerlessness to new lives of boldness through God's power on them. I say to you, brothers and sisters, to those of you who believe, I say to you, say yes to Jesus. He is alive and well. Say yes to the Holy Spirit, for he is God in the present tense, ready to act and move in you and on you and through you. Say yes to their power. Paul writes with conviction of this. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to lots of people of the world. But to us who are being saved It is the power of God for our lives. How does one receive this power? How does one get more love, more power, more of this in our lives? Well, very quickly, believe in this truth. If you don't believe in it, you will not have it because you don't believe in it. Believe in this power by the witness and testimony of Scripture and the lives of others. God has power for your life. And once you believe in it, ask for it. Ask for this Holy Spirit by asking for, ask for this power by asking for the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. And Jesus concludes that thought by saying, How much does your heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? And thirdly, make a pilgrimage. Just put that in kind of a one way of phrasing that. One could say that in lots of ways. But go to those places 
make a pilgrimage to that place where God has a reputation for showing up and showing off his great power. An Alpha Overnight at Camp St. Christopher. A women's retreat or a men's retreat at Camp St. Christopher. A journey to the Renewal Conference at Canuga. Coming even to the night, the evening of healing prayer when we address uh, issues of dysfunction within our families through the power of prayer in a few weeks. But make a pilgrimage to that place where God has a reputation for showing up. Brothers and sisters, the good news is it is all part of the package. Jesus who loves, Jesus who saves, Jesus who promises life eternal for you and your loved ones who believe, and Jesus, the power bestower for your life, that you may live victoriously. It's all part of the package. Don't you want it all? It moves me that in our prayer book of the Episcopal Church, we have these weekly colics, and we often use them in the services over in the church building. And we have prayers like this. This is uh, the third Sunday in Lent was this prayer. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us, we pray. And the prayer goes on to ask for the Lord's involvement in our lives. And the third Sunday of Advent, looking back or looking forward to Advent, we pray this. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, because we are sorely hindered by our sins. Let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. I close with probably my favorite prayer. I have lots of favorite prayers. I simply like the the, uh, the impact of this one for my own life, this prayer of transformation, this prayer of transitioning, this prayer of expectancy, and this prayer of authenticity and honesty about where I am. Because the one who has this power is in a life of transformation, being changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. So let's close with this prayer. May it be the prayer of our hearts, and may this be a prayer that enables his power to be released into our lives. Oh Lord, I ain't what I want to be. Oh, Lord, I ain't what I ought to be. Oh, Lord, I ain't what I'm going to be. But thanks, Lord, I ain't what I used to be because of your power operating in my life. Thanks be to God. Amen.